0: We're going to go into uh, <clears throat> Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church this morning, ninth chapter, verses 6 through 15. Sermon I've titled, Your Giving Gives You Away. Your giving gives you away. So beginning at verse 6. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Amen. There's a double meaning, really, in the title I've chosen for the sermon this morning, Your Giving Gives You Away. In generous giving, we are truly giving ourselves away for the sake of another. We emulate or imitate God when we do so. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In the same letter, chapter 8, Paul is describing the extravagant level of the giving of the church at Macedonia. Even though they were enduring severe affliction and extreme poverty, they gave beyond the means. They begged Paul to participate in providing relief for the needy saints in Jerusalem. They begged Paul. Let us give. They were thrilled to give money. And they were so because, as Paul says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They had already given their entire selves over to the Lord. So giving financially beyond their ability was not exceptional in their minds. The Macedonians believed that if God spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for them all, how would God not also with Him, Jesus, freely give the Macedonians all things? So they learned from their Heavenly Father and from the Lord Jesus how to give themselves away. Because once you give yourself, giving your stuff is a no-brainer when there is a need. When you consider your giving, in light of the text today. You will inescapably reveal to your, yourself, to yourself. In your giving, you will reveal yourself to yourself. And that's the second meaning in the title. Your giving gives you away. That is, it exposes something. It brings something to light. At times, we'll say our body language gives us away. Somebody says, gee, what's the matter? Something troubling you? No. We may say nothing's bothering us and nothing's wrong, but our frown gives us away. It tells the story. Pulls back the curtain. One may profess Christ as sovereign Lord, but that one's giving may give away an unbelieving or untrusting spirit. God wants you more than your money. So then, in giving... We are acting as a new creation, having first given ourselves to God, and or we are revealing something about ourselves to ourselves and perhaps to others, certainly to the Lord. The Lord is the one who matters most. Giving reveals our heart and the reality of the gospel at work in us, as Paul will detail for us. Some context, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is exhorting, Paul is exhorting Corinthian believers to make good on an earlier pledge of financial assistance to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And he cites the powerful example of the Macedonians that I just mentioned. And Paul informs the Corinthians that he is sending Titus and some other brothers to collect and deliver the offering. He doesn't shame or use guilt to compel them to give. As with all his exhortation to Christian living and ethics, Paul commends giving as a product of gospel transformation and gospel proclamation. Our giving is a product of gospel transformation and it is a means of gospel proclamation. We give because God gave. We give away because God in Christ gave Himself away. And he sums this up for us in chapter 9, verse 5, where he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Therefore, even though the immediate context is a special collection for needy saints... The precepts and teaching of Paul here apply to all giving. The when, the where, the how, the how much, the why of all of our financial giving. Years ago, the company I worked for paid my tuition for a Dale Carnegie course in public speaking. And one practice they emphasized over and again was never to say, the point I am trying to make is it lacks confidence And it suggests that the audience may not be picking up what you're putting down. Rather, one should assert, the point I am making is this. It's unambiguous. You hear it. Paul does that in in verse 6 where he says, the point is this. The point is this. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Hey honey, why do we have only one tomato plant growing in the garden? Because that's all you planted, dear. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) What are you experiencing as a consequence of your giving? Better still, in giving, what are you sowing and why are we sowing it? See, the why regulates the what or the how much. The why of our giving regulates the how much of our giving. Why we give controls what we give. That's the point. And verse 7 hints that we are truly sowing. What we are truly sowing is our heart. What we are truly sowing is our heart. And when we sow from the heart, we also reap of the heart. And we will see exactly how fantastic that is. Giving begins in the heart. That is where we... Purpose or decide things, right? Paul said here, he says, each one must give as as he has decided in his heart. Decided. Thought about. From the heart flow the issues of life. One cannot force something out of the heart that is not there. We all go through a decision-making process as to how much and to what causes we are going to open up wallets or our purses to fund. We all go through that decision-making process until it becomes second nature. Now, about once a month, I lug another 25-pound bag of dog food to the chocolate at Petco. And every time I go to swipe my bank card to pay, first I have to answer on the little screen, would you like to help a homeless pet? Every time. That's compulsion. That's compulsion. And the first time I gave reluctantly... Okay, the first time I gave reluctantly, and honestly, I haven't given since. It's not in my heart to help homeless pets. Don't judge me. I already have a pet that I occasionally threaten with homelessness. Thank you very much. The point is that we give from a heart that is shaped and moved by something. Something is compelling us to give. And that determines our giving. And Paul says nothing about how much. Paul says nothing about how much. When Paul mentioned the offering for the saints in in, uh, Judea in in, uh, 16.2 of his first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, each of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper. As he may prosper. For some, the question of What about the tithe comes up? Tithe meaning 10%. Doesn't Scripture direct us to give 10% of our earnings? No, it does not. Now, you might run into some of that teaching in other churches, and that's just this church's position, and I think it's got more solid biblical foundation than not. Much more. The tithe was the funding system for a covenant that has, according to the book of Hebrews, been abolished. The tithe funded the Mosaic Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood of the Mosaic covenant was financially supported by the tithe, and that covenant has been completely abolished. Actually, there were several tithes under the Mosaic covenant to be given at various times of the year. And it may be that the total of the tithes collected amounted to perhaps as much as 30% of the Israelites' increase in possessions, depending on one's method of calculation. And some will protest, Ah, but didn't Jesus commit tithing when rebuking the Pharisees? Yes, He did, as He should have, because Jesus ministered under the Old Covenant until He ushered in the New Covenant in His blood. Furthermore, in Matthew 23, where Jesus mentions tithing, he also said in the opening verses of that chapter, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Clearly, that is not intended for us today. I've heard and read others say that 10% is a good place to start, and every Christian should start there. And I say, give me chapter, verse, and context. Neither Paul nor any other authority in Scripture directs percentages because it's not necessary. Four, if God first has 100% of you, then he also has 100% of your financial management. And you might give 70% specifically to church causes. You might. Give... It's nobody's business but yours and the Lord's. But the Lord knows your heart. Right? And giving comes from the heart. And this is not the time for a sermon on you know, financial management, but everything that you do with your money is a reflection of the gospel at work in you. What does reluctance and compulsion indicate but a heart that doesn't want to give? What does reluctance and compulsion indicate? When God has your heart, there is no reluctance or external compulsion. When I was 12 years old, my mother and father told us that dad was going to have to leave the house for a while and live somewhere else because, quote, he was sick. My father struggled hard with alcohol. And this brought about a need for a period of time, marital separation. And by the grace of God, eventually he overcame his addiction. But wrapping it in terms we could understand, my parents simply told us, Daddy is sick. Well, my brother Chris was 10 years old at the time. He came out of his room shortly after we were told this, and he placed 11 cents in my father's hand. And he said, here, Daddy, I hope you feel better. That was the only money my little brother had, I'm sure. And my my father never spent that 11 cents. Right? He always kept it with him. He couldn't really buy anything with it, but it richly supplied him with love as it came from a heart of simple, pure, childlike devotion and love. And that's the heart that gives without even a second thought. The only compulsion Chris felt was the compulsion to love his dad. And to see him get better. And maybe the 11 cents would help. It was easily worth giving up. Right? You know, it's noteworthy that this text is the only place in the New Testament, in fact, of all of Scripture, I love the only's of Scripture, it's the only place in Scripture where we see the two words juxtaposed right next to each other, God and loves. (laughs) God loves. It's the only place you'll find it. And what is it that He loves. The cheerful giver. Isn't that that amazing? See, this doesn't mean that we earn His love by giving. When one gives abundantly, God's love is evidenced by the giving. God's love for the person, the person's love for God. And God does what is best for the one who loves to give by making it possible for the giver to give even more. This is what's repeated throughout this text. Verse 8. God's grace abounds or is in plentiful supply to us, so that we have all that we need and can abound or plentifully supply every good work. Which in context here is financial giving. You see that? If giving makes us cheerful, God is able to make us continually cheerful by supplying grace and the means so that we continue to cheerfully give. David Golland writes, Reluctance... Reluctance to sow generously then reflects a refusal to trust that God is all-sufficient and all-gracious. It also assumes that we can only give when we are prospering and have something that we will not need for ourselves. (laughs) Remember the widow's mites, right? The widow's coins. She came up. And Jesus said, that woman, she just gave more than everybody else that all the other people that have come and have given out of their abundance and out of their prosperity, this woman, in sense, just gave her last two coins. She gave everything that she has. Paul then refers, he quotes Psalm 112, "Where where among many other wonderful things, the blessed man who fears God, quote, distributes freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, again, let's understand our terms so we don't get confused. Fear of God isn't some servile fear that dreads punishment if one doesn't do right. The fear of the Lord rarely means that. There's a place for that. Usually it's for the enemies of God. Brennan Manning gives a helpful definition. The biblical meaning of the fear of the Lord is silent wonder, radical amazement, affectionate awe at the infinite goodness of God. That person will give. So God supplies our need for sustenance and our need to give in verse 10. It says God will also multiply the seed for you to sow. We don't get seeds and just leave them hanging around the house. Seeds are to be sown. Do we believe this? God says... Is it in your heart to give? Here. Have more to give. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. God will increase the harvest of your righteousness, the text says. In every day I check to see if the market is up or down as I watch my four hundred one K. I do what you're not supposed to do, right? You say, I don't, I don't make a lot of changes with it. You know, I don't shift things around, but every day I watch it and every little thing affects it, right? With God, the investment always yields a great return. Always. Man, I'm really starting to believe this. We sow a desire for God's kingdom to expand and that Christ be exalted. That's what we're sowing with our financial giving. We're sowing or should be, a desire for God's kingdom to expand and that Christ be exalted. And God increases that harvest. It happens. Why does God enrich the cheerful giver in every way? Verse 11. Why does God do that? So that she can be generous in every way. This is not, hey, bless others so that God will bless you. That prosperity teaching madness. It says, oh, give to me and see if I don't open up the doors, of windows of heaven and blah, 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 blah. And the prosperity, uh, one that that embraces that thing. Boy, if I just give a little more, God's going to bless me. Maybe I'll get that car. Maybe I'll get that whatever. Because I cared for the poor. It is not, hey, bless others so that God will bless you. In fact that is an incomplete sentence the complete sentence is bless others so that god will bless you by making it possible to continue to bless others and as i contemplate these words i play over my mind what my typical first response is when i receive an increase of some kind like whether it's a bonus or a raise or you know a gift card etc and i'd like to tell you my reaction is great who can i bless but it is more often I think what bill can I pay or what have I been putting off buying now that I can purchase for me I thought that these things are inherently bad because they're not but the next time an increase comes my way I really want to want to ask who needs this more than me right now God help us and that is hard isn't it oh Nothing isn't done. Paul says, by the Spirit, the harvest of righteousness is greater still. Paul tells them that their generosity will produce thanksgiving to God. How many times in my life have I thought about myself and probably others, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, Romans 2.24. Right? So, you, you, you overreact. You react in a very public way. You snap at an unbelieving co worker or family member. And you say, ah, oh, my testimony is blown. <laughs> because of me, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. I have felt that. Maybe you have felt that too. It's an awful feeling. I like to assuage and comfort myself with the sovereignty of God that I'm not responsible for their salvation and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. Reformation theology isn't meant to dig you out of a. A hole in that way digs out of a lot of holes. Isn't it outstanding to think that something that we can do can produce thanksgiving to God from others? So rather than the fact that the name of God is blasphemed among unbelievers because of me, our giving can impact another soul in such a way that it can be said the name of God is praised among someone because of you. And and this theme runs over into verse 12. Don't you love the BOGO deals in life? Yeah, I work for Pepsi. We specialize in the whole BOGO thing, you know? Of course, I always buy two, get one. You, you, you can't make an acronym for that. You know, the BITGO. Buy one, get one, right? The buy one, get one deals. The big events. Paul told the Corinthians, your financial gifts are not only meeting genuine needs of your poor brethren, but they're overflowing in many thanksgivings. Two for the price of one. Your cup of blessing. Others is running over. Our giving, our giving, watch this now. Our giving is providing for the new covenant priesthood of all believers. What a fulfillment of Scripture this is. This is the New Testament fulfilling the Old Testament. Our giving, the tithe provided for the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant as they offered up all kinds of sacrifices for God's people. And the chief heart giving provides for the new covenant priesthood of all believers as they offer up sacrifices and praise and thanksgiving. Man, that is awesome! Maybe some of you are familiar with the song, Thank You, which is written from the perspective of a generous believer who dreams that he's gone to heaven. And the refrain in the, in the song is, Thank you for giving to the Lord, I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord as you gave. And then there's this line. So the person's in heaven and this is what they see. One by one they came as far as the eye could see. Each one somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on earth, heaven now proclaims. And I know up in heaven that you're not supposed to cry but I was almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, and he said, "My child, look around you, for great is your reward, because the reward is the people grateful that the generous person gave. This is all the lives and everything that you in your giving caused abounding thanksgiving and praise to be made." Well, invariably, Paul comes around to the gospel. We talked about this downstairs, right? The gospel is not just, I'm saved. In fact, if that's all the gospel is for you, you don't have the gospel, very likely. Or your growth is significantly stunted and we want to help you and God wants to help you. Invariably, Paul comes around to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ was crucified to redeem and reconcile sinners to God, right? That human slash divine self-giving is what gives formerly selfish sinners the desire to give for the right reasons. In chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Ever think about the riches that Jesus gave up? I think probably can be detailed with, Father, oh, Father, restore to me the glory that we had. The glory that I shared with you before the world began. What, what, what could possibly be richer for that than the Lord Jesus? His whole Philippians 2 nits. You know, when He set aside divine prerogatives. When I, that, that kind of richness. That, that richness, that wealth is our being joined to God, united to Him. It's the true riches. And so, His grace becomes our grace. And His love, our love. And His desire, our desire. And His giving, our giving. We are rescued from the domain of Satan where the motto is, Get, get, get. To the kingdom of the Son of God's beloved Son where the motto is give, give, give. Financial giving is the submission that flows from our confession of the gospel of Christ. This is what Paul says. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. So, this is a confession, this gospel confession, this confession of the gospel of Christ. It's a confession that's active in generosity to the Lord's ongoing work through the church. Through the church. We know that we are not our own. We know that we've been bought with a price. Paul boasted to the Galatians that the cross of Christ is the mean by which the world has been crucified to Him and Him to the world. And so, therefore... Before Christ, we use our money to love the world and the things of the world. Things that are not from the Father but are from the world. Money for the lusts of the flesh. Money for the lust of the eyes. Money for the pride of life. Vanishing money that was vanishing in a vanishing world. But now we who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our wallets and purses have been translated from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. He's the face we should see on our feet. It's his face we should see on the dollar bill, the five dollar bill, and the hundred dollar bill. Paul tells the Corinthians that the Judean saints will pray for them and long for them. Why? Because of the surpassing grace of God upon them. We were talking about this again downstairs today. What is that thing that happens between Christians in different parts of the world or the state when you come together and something just happens? I'll tell you what happens. We talked about this. It is that sense of longing because of the surpassing grace of God on that person. We are just drawn to grace. We just, it just, it just it sucks us in. The grace of God just brings us in. It's got this incredible, powerful gravitational pull. And they're not going to pray for them and long for them because of the money that they received, which was much needed. But what the financial aid represents, the grace of God that overflows and abundantly supplies. Paul was grateful to the Philippian church for the same reason. He said, hey, thanks for the coat and the, thanks for the stuff. Well, you know, more important to me getting the stuff is the benefit that accrues to you from giving. The joy, the cheer, the excitement, the participation in the gospel. Financial giving out of love for God and the brethren is the echo of the gospel, reverberating and bouncing all around the kingdom. Bouncing right through our our, our treasures. You know, Jesus said, "Where well, your treasure is there your heart will be also. Jesus made such clear observations, didn't he? Where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Show me, show me, me, hey me, where's your treasure? That's where my heart's going to be because that's where we stockpile. So having made his point quite well, Paul simply concludes, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, the gift of his grace. The gift of making giving such a gift to us. The gift of re-gifting the gift of... God. God gives to us. We give to others. They give thanks to God for the gift that provokes the giving of thanks and praise. And their giving of thanks is itself a gift to us. That's why Paul says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. I don't know how else to say it. That's what it's like with God. You just run out of ways to talk about Him. You just run smack dab into your finititude. So, therefore, our giving or not giving, our giving or not giving gives us away as those who have received the grace of God or those who have not. It is likely often the case that the haves give and the have nots give not. Grace havers give, grace have nots give not. And the amount of cheer and giving is more valuable than the dollar value of the giving. And I do just want to float out there, just, just because I always feel the need to do this. There are legitimate reasons in difficult, unmatched marriages where, you know, one spouse just, you know might be entire reluctance from the other spouse to give. And, you know, there are circumstances and things like that. And that's why I think there's such a emphasis on the cheerful giving and the desire to give. And... I can't help but see that somehow eventually we end up giving something out of that grace that overflows to us. It's one more needful point of exhortation that flows from the major topic of Financial giving. And as I mentioned, the context of 2 Corinthians 8-9 is giving for the needy saints in Jerusalem. However, the principles of giving in general for any area of need, as God defines those needs for His kingdom, have been clearly set forth in the text here. And in others, but very clearly here. And the local church is where local church members give first and foremost and most. <laughs> this is where most of our giving is probably it should take place. I mean, we are the body. Uh, just like there's a family budget. There's uh, you know, things like that. Um, this is where it happens first and foremost, because the local church, we, we come together, we, we, we fellowship with one another, we come into that koinonia, for the variety of reasons that God brings us together and then we as a body decide which missions it will fund and which charities are a priority and how much to set aside for needy brothers and sisters within the local church. And this is assumed in the text inasmuch as much as Paul said that the collection was to be made when the church came together on the first day of every week when the church gathered. See, that tells us something. The church does what it does as a body with each individual member doing its part. Each grace-enriched believer letting that grace overflow in what the context here is, financial giving. Yes, there's giving of time, there's other things. This is emphasizing financial giving. This is the inspired text. And from our giving, the pastorate is also funded. And this is of paramount importance. Galatians 6.6. 6. Some of this is known to you and some of, some of you will never have encountered these verses. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And that is just an expression of your gratitude for the good teaching. You will want, we, we, we want to give because of the great teaching ministry that is set forth, that we've been put in. And it's interesting in that verse, in Galatians, after Paul says, let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches, he goes on to say, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit. The only way to reap from the Spirit is through the ministry of the Word, primarily. Right? the, The Spirit does things, I don't want to confuse that, but it is interesting that Paul makes that comment about Be mindful of how you sow, right after he talks about, immediately after he says, make sure you share all good things, you who are taught, with the one who taught. That is financial and or material giving to support the one teaching. 1 Corinthians 9.11 If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much for us to reap a material harvest from you? 1 Timothy 5.17 The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That word honor is a reference to monetary support. If you want to know that for sure, go look at the context because earlier in the chapter, it talks about honoring widows and it is clear from that that honoring widows who are widows indeed means giving financial support to those who don't have family who can support them. They are widows who are truly widows indeed and widows in need. Honor them. Double honor to the one who teaches well and preaches well. It's not a generic sense of just sort of honoring or esteeming those men described by the text, though surely we ought to do the latter without neglecting the former. Churches need a place to gather. And as we know, that also costs money. I hope, I know what it's like to be in a, in a difficult church situation. And it's hard to be grateful. And that interferes with Giving financially it can the importance of good sound biblical teaching and spiritual fellowship is so important and that grace of God is going to abound in people so that giving happens so the precepts and principles and promise of 2 Corinthians 8 9 apply to these areas of financial giving as well if you sow sparingly you will reap sparingly. Determine in your heart. Decide what you will give as the Lord prospers you and pray for the grace of cheerful giving and experience how much God loves you, the cheerful giver. Plan your giving. If you're away one Sunday, can you happily give in advance or double up the next week? Or do we take a vacation from the kingdom? That's the uncomfortable part for me to, to mention. So, nothing is ever accomplished by guilt and shame and negative compulsion. But when the text talks to us, let's listen and get the grace that we need to develop in us. So God provides... Your bread and the seed you will plant for the work of the kingdom. God will increase your, our harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I hope you see how contrary this is to the world today. You know, as we see politicians putting out there in public how much one another gave. You see, people know there's a sense in that, right? Isn't there something going on in politics when one group has to expose that, you know, this presidential candidate only gave 1% of his income to charity. You know? The jerk makes millions and millions of dollars. Look, he gave $30,000 to some little fund or something. You know? And so, so, inherently, we kind of judge that. We, we, we think certain things. We know something because the giving gives that person away. Their giving gives that person away. You, me, we will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And you have no idea The giving of thanks that will flow from your giving, except as the word tells us, many thanks will be given. And others will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel and your gospel-inspired generosity. This is sharing Christ. This is a, I don't know, its I don't want it cheap, like evangelizing financially, you know. Others will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and your gospel-inspired generosity. And others will long for you and pray for you because of God's surpassing grace upon you. Do you believe? Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Father in heaven, you're so good. That our hearts...